I'm just so, just so pumped to be here today and, uh, and, and honored Sam Cathy for uh, inviting me to, to be a part. I'm very excited to be preaching in South Auckland tonight. That's, uh, I got to pastor there for close to a decade and this will be probably the first time I've been back speaking probably in 17 years or something in South Auckland. So I'm uh, really, really excited about that tonight. Why don't you, you grab your, your Bible, go with me to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2. And uh, I want to speak from this passage from verse 4. We're going to start in verse 4. I'm going to read through to verse 9. Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 4. Paul wrote this book to the church at Ephesus. Uh, some theologians say this is like the pinnacle. This is the crown jewel of Paul's writings. Some would, would say that arguably it's probably the strongest theological writing that he, he did. Uh, and this is a church he planted. So everything he is saying to this church is downloading to people that he loved, he had an, an investment in. And it's a, a pretty spectacular uh, book. We're going to read from verse 4. It says this, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. He raised us up together, made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he may show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. I, I've simply titled my message today uh, this, 56 plus green equals milk. 56 plus green equals milk. Now, I would encourage anybody here that is of the brainy persuasion to take no effort or time trying to work it out. This is not a mathematical equation. I lived in New Zealand, but I was born in North Queensland, Australia, and speaking English is a challenge just for me, let alone doing math equation. I was horrible. Out of all the subjects I did at school, I was horrible at math. Once asked what our hypotenuse was, I declared it was an African animal. Apparently, this is incorrect. Asked to describe a circumference, I said, I'm pretty sure it's an operation they give the little Jewish boys. And I believe it leaves an owie. Apparently, this too is, is incorrect. So, so don't try to work it out. It's just a sermon title, but let's get into the Word today. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that your Word is alive and powerful and sharp and active and able to get into areas of our life where nothing else can penetrate and it can bring supernatural change. We thank you that your Word never returns void. You always have an agenda. And God, I believe today that you have an agenda with the men and women that are in church in your house today. Your word declares that you are a rewarder of those who diligently seek you. And so God, I pray that you would speak to us this morning. Let us leave better than when we came in. 
in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Now, I'm presuming most people here today have a, a, a television, uh, some sort of social media, some sort of outlet, and, and at some point have been influenced either by external preaching, you know, Christian TV. You've got quite a few Christian channels in New Zealand now, which is fairly cool for some of the time. And uh, especially if you're like really tired at night, need to go to sleep. And so, but there, the, the worship music, anyway, don't you were thinking. And, and so, so, so now what happens is doctrines and uh, themes sort of spread across the planet and are embraced uh, more rapidly than, than in times before. Sometimes this is good, sometimes this is bad, sometimes it's incredibly uh, uh, challenging. The, 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 the preaching on fasting, Pastor Jensen Franklin is, is a big teacher on fasting. Fasting now has spread throughout the planet. I'm not sure if you do it here in New Zealand, but in America now, you know, everyone pretty much begins their year with 21 days of prayer and fasting. For me personally, this is a challenge because I, I hate fasting. I'm not even sure fasting is biblical. The disciples weren't that educated. They probably couldn't spell. Or maybe they trusted autocorrect. And if they trusted autocorrect, there's a spirit of Jensen Franklin in the room. He is everywhere. It is, it is unbelievable. But if they trusted autocorrect, maybe it, it, it could have, how easy it would have, it just, it's possible that maybe they were wanting to write prayer and feasting and just left an E out. Could have happened. I, I, got, I got some Bible background for my heresy. It, it's, the, it's the feast of Israel, not the fast of Israel. We're going to the marriage supper of the Lamb, not the marriage starvation. I think God likes to eat. God likes to eat. But now we're all embracing fasting. I don't, I don't love it. It's not, it's not a great thing. Uh, a few years back, our church every year does a fast at the beginning of, of the year. And so I, I decided to do a fast. And that, that year I decided that I would fast fasting. If you've got to give something up. <laughs> if you've got to give something up, give up fasting. That, I thought that was a good sacrifice to make. Uh, I, I realized that that wasn't really good. Probably not that spiritual. So the next year I thought... If you do a fast and you do it for 21 days, if you fasted for 21 days, you know that those 21 days go slowly. So how can it be a good fast if it goes slow? Technically, you think you're going fast because you're in the fast lane, but if your car is going slow in the fast lane, you're already going slow even though you're in the fast lane. And so if you're fasting and it goes slow, how can that technically be a fast? You should probably call it a slow. And so I decided to do a, a, a fast fast so I fasted for 21 minutes. And so it began at midnight, New Year's Eve, and then at half past 12, I was done. It was phenomenal. My wife is very spiritual, told me that wasn't spiritual. And so I have to up my fasting game. Uh, this year, I've decided to do um, 100 days, 100 days of fasting. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. And thank you, you're welcome. Um, pretty much, just I'm a spiritual giant. That's just the way I roll. You know, I like to brag. 
but 100 days of fasting is pretty impressive. Not in, not in one hit, because you die. You die. So it's accumulative. It's added up over the year. 100 days if you add it up. So I fast. I fast. I fast from midnight to 8 a.m. every day of the year. And if you add that up at the end of the year, bam. 100 days of fasting. That's just the way it is. I say all that to say this. I like to eat, and I was out to eat with uh, some friends of mine, <laughs> uh, Jürgen and Leanne Matesius, who are actually on our team here in South Auckland and now uh, lead pastors at C3 in San Diego with multiple campuses absolutely blowing it up in, in America. They're doing an amazing job. And we're out for dinner, and we, we were discussing a mutual friend who had been at... at Jürgen's church preaching on another message that's sort of like doing the rounds uh, of Christianity and that's the message of grace. And so this guy had been in preaching a strong grace message and uh, Jürgen was frustrated, not by the message, but by the general response to the message of grace. Message of grace being we're saved by grace through faith, not of works. And the thought sort of went like, well, if we're not saved by works, why are works necessary for anything that we do in our Christianity? If I'm saved by grace through faith, not of works, then why, why would I need to give my hard-earned money to the church? If I'm saved by grace through faith, not of works, then why would I need to volunteer? Why would I need to get on a team? Why would I need to participate in making church happen? If I'm saved by grace through faith, not of works, then why would I need to attend weekly? Why can't I just show up whenever I want, do the church a favor by, by coming along? If I'm, if I'm saved by grace through faith, why would I need to exert any effort in kingdom life if, if the works have got nothing to do with my salvation? Now, you can understand from a pastor's perspective, this is diabolical because you can't build anything without the help of the church. And for somebody like Jürgen, who is pioneering campuses and the church is exploding, he, he needs a, a, a generation of people, generation of people that want to serve and invest in the kingdom of God. And so, so I sort of got his frustration. And as a church planter and as a consultant, as a trainer, and as somebody who loves the house of God, I, I sort of got the frustration. My, 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 my problem was I'm a grace preacher. And I, I don't know how you can get away from the message of grace. It is central to the gospel of Christ. I, I always laugh at the people that are angry at Joel Osteen and they make the criticism of Joel Osteen that, that he preaches, he preaches um, a, a, an easy gospel or, or what they say, gospel light. But there's no such thing as gospel heavy. The gospel is light. You know what I'm saying? And so this was, this was a challenge for me. So it, it drove me into the world. God, God, what, what, what do you say? And, and, and so I came to this conclusion that the reality is that every one of us actually is saved by, by, by works. Now, if you've got any sort of biblical understanding, or you can just simply remember the verse I read a moment ago, your brain's probably like, incorrect, sir. We are not saved by works. Just a moment, you read that verse from Ephesians chapter, chapter 2, and, and, and you said deliberately we are saved by grace through faith, and then you emphasize not of works 
lest any man should boast. And probably my statement makes, that we're saved by works, makes as much sense as 56 plus green equals milk. So are we saved by grace or are we saved by works? And I believe the answer to that question simply is yes. <laughs> Look what it says here. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together, made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The, the lead up to this in Paul's writing pretty much is, in a summary, is, is God's good and we are not. God's got it all together and we are messed up. I love what Eugene Peterson says in the Message Bible. He says that our lives were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. We filled our lungs up with polluted unbelief and we exhaled disobedience. We were doing what we felt like doing when we felt like doing it and we were on the opposite side of the God life. I think that pretty much describes every one of us here today, that our lives were messed up, jacked up. And then he goes in this line, but God, who is rich in mercy. We come in and we think, man, my, my life is rich in failure, but God. My, my life is rich in mistakes, but God. My, my, my life is rich in things that I wish didn't happen, but God. My life is rich in things I wish I didn't do, but God. My, my, my life is rich in shame, but God. But God, who is rich in mercy, I'm here to tell you today, especially if this is your first time ever in the house of God, ever in church, if this is your first time here, it doesn't matter how jacked up, how messed up, how tragic, how horrible, how embarrassing your past is, our God is rich in mercy. And you may be rich in mistakes, but our God is rich in mercy. It says, but our God who is rich in, in, in mercy with the love that he loved us. Our God who is rich in mercy with the love that he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sin. Think about this. When we were far away from God, when you were far away from God, when you were dead in your trespasses, when you were dead, in, when you weren't interested in church, that, that, that time that people were asking you, hey man, you want to come to church on Sunday? And you're like, no. <laughs> come on man, why don't you come to church? You've got a cool church, why don't you come to church? I want to go to your church. Did anybody have that season? <laughs> hey man, why don't you come to church? No, I don't want to come to your church. Ask me to come again to your church, I'll punch you in the face. <laughs> what, what we were running as far away and as fast as we could from God, God was always moving toward us. Our, our God who is rich in mercy. Why? Because of the great love with which He loved us. So it's not like this whole relationship with God thing began with us loving God. Everything that we have today began because God loved us. So God loved us first. God chased after us first. When we were running from Him, we were dead in our trespasses and sin. The Bible says he made us alive, so we were dead, he makes us alive, and then he raises us up together and makes us sit together in the heavenly places. So God loves us, God pursues us, God reaches out to us. 
He lifts us up. All we do is put our hands up. He lifts us up. He lifts us up out of our past. He lifts us up out of our, our mistakes. He lifts us up out of all that stuff that held us bound. And then the Bible says he sits us down. So the first position that we begin our Christianity in is an absolute position of rest. God's doing all the work. He's chasing. He's pursuing. He's guarding. He's looking. He's inviting. He's asking. You finally say yes. He lifts you up. And then he sits you down. And you are seated in a position of rest. Right now, you have done absolutely nothing but receive. Then it says, he sits us down in heavenly places. The Bible says that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. So we're actually seated in the seat of Christ in heavenly places. What, what, does, that even, what does that even mean? Is it like we're, we're seated in a really comfortable seat? Like has Jesus got like the best seat in heaven? When he was about to ascend into heaven, was God like, okay, fellas, uh, my son's about to ascend into heaven and we need to find somewhere for him to sit. And uh, I need you angels to go and check out, check out all the seats here because we need a good seat, you know. And uh, scurry, fellas, scurry. You've got like angels scurrying, you know, all around heaven. They're checking seats out, you know. And, and they come back and they say, wow, God, we found that one on your right-hand side of your throne. It's unbelievably comfortable. It's got lumbar support in the back, which would be great for Jesus because he's been on the slab for three days and stuff like that. That can't be good for you. And, and it's got a beautiful view over the lake of fire and, and stuff like that. Just, just awesome. Just awesome. God's like, that is unbelievably cool. And is it because it's, no, the, the, the right hand of the throne of God speaks of authority. So think about this. God picks you up, sits you down in rest, and sits you in a position of authority. Some of you here today are trying to earn spiritual authority. Some of you here today are trying to gain spiritual authority. I'm telling you here today that you already have it. It was given to you at salvation. You need to learn just how to operate in the authority that God has given you. He gave you all things pertaining to life and godliness. It came in the gift of salvation. And our authority doesn't come out of striving. You can fast, it doesn't make you more spiritual. It may make you a little bit more focused, but it doesn't give you any more authority because you've got all the authority that you, it may make you aware of the authority. It may make you hungry for the authority. It may make you, it may make you exercise, but you already have all spiritual authority. It was given to you at the point of salvation. You can't con God for more because he has already done it. So he picks us up. He sits us down. He gives us authority. Why? Why do that? Well, it says here in the next verse that in the ages to come that he may show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. He does all that so you could be a trophy of God's grace. He does all that so the world could see the work that God does in you. That you are the only gospel that some people are ever going to see. And so God does all that work in you. So when people see you, they can see the goodness of God in you. You are a reflection of the grace of God. You are a trophy of the grace of God. So what is grace? 
Grace is simply unmerited favor, undeserved favor. It means you don't deserve it, but you get it anyway. It means you can't earn it, but you get it anyway. One, one man described it like this. He said, if you work at a job for 40 hours, at the end of the, the week, they cut you a check. That's, that's called a wage or a salary. If you, if you run a race and you take first place and, and they give you a trophy, that's called a prize. If you do something amazing in the community, they stand you up and they, they give you speeches and they present you with a plaque, then that's called an award. But when you can't earn it and you can't win it and you don't deserve it, but you get it anyway, that's what grace is. It's the unmerited, undeserved favor of God. It comes to you from the throne of heaven. By grace you've been saved through faith that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works. So you are saved by grace, not of works. It is a gift of God. Then it goes on and says, lest anyone should boast. So when you get to heaven, when you die, and hopefully for all of us that's a long time from now, but we're walking along, doing our own thing, <coughs> dead. <laughs> then we wake up in heaven. They hand us a McDonald's soft serve cone. How cool would that be? That'd just be cool, rock up in heaven and the McDonald's soft serve machine is working. Because <laughs> it's heaven, it never fails because it's heaven. Now I know some of you that have been around a while, you Bible scholars are like, John, that's not in the Bible. I, I realize that. But Jesus did say, I go to prepare a place for you, which suggests that it's not finished. So I'm just sending up suggestions and how cool. <laughs> How cool will that be to rock up in heaven and get a, especially some of you that are a bit like me, barely getting into heaven, dangling over the flames. <laughs> Nothing like a soft serve cone on a hot day. <laughs> but this is the sound that you will hear when you get to heaven. Nothing. Because I think that, that we've got this concept that we're going to walk into heaven and it's going to go, you made it! Awesome! Brilliant! You got here! Oh, that's something! People are high for Fact! Well done! Brilliant! Just, oh! Just, mate! Just go crazy and hugging angels like breaking out in electric harp solos and stuff like that. But you'll arrive just, no one's going to pat you on the back. No one's going to congratulate you. You're not going to get a high five for arriving in heaven. You know why? You didn't do anything. You, don't, you didn't do anything to get to heaven. Jesus did everything to get you to heaven. You're saved by grace through faith, not of works. Lest any man should boast. In other words, God has removed you completely out of your salvation equation. So you, you can't get all cocky and all smug and all arrogant and just think you're all that and a bag of chips. You know, you can't, you can't sort of walk around like, I'm too Christian for this church, too Christian for this church, too Christian for this church. <laughs> Christian and I know it. You can't get, you can't, you can't boast because you didn't do anything. When my daughters come home 
and I've told them to clean the room. If they don't clean the room and I clean the room, I'm not like, congratulations, brilliant! Your room's immaculate, you girls were amazing! No, I cleaned it, they didn't do anything. You don't get rewarded or congratulated on something you haven't done. But I'd still put it to you that we are saved by works. Some years ago, I, I grew up in Townsville, North Queensland. The uh, local paper is called the Townsville Daily Bulletin. Front page of the Townsville Daily Bulletin, headlines read, Brave Action Saves Hotel from Fire. The story was of a, a young man that had raced into the fire that had broken out in an elevator shaft eight floors up in the 14-story building, the largest building in Townsville. And a fire had broken out, and this young man had run into the face of the fire with a fire extinguisher, risking his own life, the, the uh, article said, and put the fire out, saving the hotel from burning to the ground. 186 rooms, full occupancy on that particular night, and he saved the hotel from burning to the ground. He's a real-life local hero. That young man was me. I, I was the young man that raced into the fire. You have a legit local Australian hero <laughs> standing in front of you today. Hey, could have been one of your relatives I saved. I think I deserve a little bit more better applause than that. Even in the other campuses that are around and South Auckland, you should be going crazy right now. Thank you. You get used to it. What, what the article didn't say was I started the fire. It didn't say that. It left that little bit of information out, conveniently. You say to me, how do you start a fire in an elevator shaft in a hotel? I was working in the hotel, and it was before I was saved. And let's just say I may or may not have had a one or two dozen uh, too many Coca-Colas with flavoring. And, uh, and there's a high chance that I may or may not have been participating in some homeopathic remedies <laughs> as prescribed by the very famous doctors Cheech and Chong. And <laughs> so I was a little drunk and a little stoned. Uh, I was very drunk and very stoned. And so, and I, and I actually started the fire. The, the paper left that out conveniently. How many of you know, with just that little bit more information, I went from like, he's a hero to he's a moron. <laughs> you went from, I want to hear him preach, I don't think I trust him anymore. People started looking for the fire exit around the building. And, and so, so with everything, with a little bit more information, everything makes sense. Like, go back to the, the title of my message. It says 56 plus green equals milk. That doesn't make a lot of sense. But if we tweaked it a little bit, so we just changed it and we said, you know, 56 cows plus green grass equals milk. How many are like, ah, oh, that, makes, that makes more sense? Because with a little bit of information, everything changes. Now that's often the case in the Bible. 
You can base a doctrine on one or two verses, but then if you search the whole Bible out, you'll find that that doctrine actually gets a little bit challenged. In this case, you don't have to go far. You don't have to exert much energy. You just have to go to the next verse. You're reading. You get here. All you got to do is this. That's all you got to do. I'm here at verse 9. I can do it. 10. That's all you got to do. It's all the energy you got to exercise to get... Then it, then it goes on, and verse 10, for we are his workmanship. He's done it all. Created for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we are God's workmanship. He has seated us in heavenly places. We have all authority and power, but he did all that so we could do good works and we could walk, that we could get up out of our seated position and we could walk it out. That's how the church was birthed. In the book of Acts, they were all seated in one accord and then they stand and they say, this is the Holy Spirit. And then they walked into Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and the outermost parts of the earth. We're saved by grace through faith, not of works, where his workmanship to do good works. Well, and the question just becomes, well, what are those works? Bible speaks about the works of the flesh. Are we created to do the works of the flesh? Well, no. That's what he's saving us from. He's saving us from the works of the flesh. Well, then it is, is it the Old Testament works? Is it the works of the law? Well, no, the Bible teaches us that by the works of the law, no one is justified. And so what works are there? Bible speaks about, in the book of Ephesians, the work of the ministry. And that God gives us apostles and pastors and teachers and, and, and evangelists and prophets so he can train up the church to do the work of the ministry. And so the church, you and I are saved to do the work of the ministry. One of the, one of the greatest passages, I think, to give us context of this is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And, and it says this, we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You're God's building. So we're his workmanship. According to the grace of God, which he has given to me, as a wise master builder, I've laid a foundation, another one builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds. For no other foundation can anyone lay that, that which is Christ Jesus. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay or straw, each one's work, will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss but he himself will be saved yet as though through the fire. So Paul's writing to Corinthians church and he's writing to us, the church. He says, you're going to get into heaven and your life is going to be judged. Not for sin. Because your sin is under the blood of Jesus. This judgment is not a sin judgment. This is a, what did you do with your life judgment? God says, I gave you 24 hours a day. I gave you seven days a week. 
I gave you over 3,700 hours every year. I gave you a life. What did you, what did you spend with? What did you do with that? What did you do with your life? We, we're all making a decision every day. We're working at something. We're either working at my kingdom or we're working at his kingdom. We're working on our own thing or we're working on God's thing. And God says, let's just see what you did. I gave you salvation. I, I seated you with all authority. I gave you power. I gave you resources. I gave you gifts. I gave you talents. I gave you motivational gifts. I gave you opportunity. I, I gave you, what did you do? What, what did you do with everything that I gave you? What did you do with that? Let's just check that out. And so God says, we, we hit it with fire. So fire hits your life. The Bible says everything wood, hay, and straw will turn into ash. The only thing that lasts is gold, silver, and precious stones. So it's talking about temporal things and eternal things. So it says, let's just check what you do with your life. Everything that's temporal, it's not sinful. It's not bad. It's not evil. It's not like you shouldn't do it. But you just got to understand it has no earthly value. Sorry, I should re let me rephrase that. Has no heavenly value, no eternal value. He says, what car you drive is cool. But it doesn't matter whether you drive a BMW or a beat-up VW. In the end, in heaven, it's ash. It has no heavenly purpose. The clothes you wear, you can wear the most expensive clothes or cheap clothes. It doesn't really matter because in the end of the day, it just turns out to be ash. The hobbies you use, the boat you own, the jet ski, all those things are cool and they're fun and you should have them. There's nothing wrong with having them as long as you understand that in eternity they have no heavenly value and they turn into ash. Only the things that we do for eternity are the things that last. The only kingdom that lasts for eternity is God's kingdom. And so he says, Let, let's see what you did for my kingdom. How many people did you invite to church? How many people did you bring to church? You've got a nice car, but did you ever use that to go and pick somebody up and drive them to church? Pick somebody up and drive them to a youth service? Pick somebody up and drive them to a conference? Did you ever use your vehicle for kingdom purposes? What did you do with your money? What did you do with all the income that you got to earn? How much of that did you invest in kingdom purpose? What did you do at your workplace? Was it all just about earning money or did you use your occupation to be influential in the kingdom? How did you use your life? What did you do for my kingdom? It's like serving in church. We often hear people say this when I'm training leaders. People always say something like, how can I ask somebody to do that? They're just a volunteer. How can we ask them to come early? How can we ask them to serve every week because they're just a volunteer? Well, people that make that statement are people that don't understand heaven. And people that do that, they're, they're afraid to ask somebody because they're only a volunteer, are going to have some very angry looks in heaven. Because all the people that we gave a pass, we didn't want to offend you, we didn't want to ask you too much, you're just a volunteer. We, we, they're going to stand there on, on, on judgment day, spending all their life hours on their own hobbies and projects, never being asked by the church to serve in church. And when God's fire and they're strapping up their little bowl of ash, they're going to look at you and like, <laughs> they're going to want to lay hands on you and see if you can recover just to be scriptural. <laughs> Why? Because there are no volunteers. They loaded in at something like five o'clock in the morning here to make this work for you today. There are volunteers in here at 5 a.m. in the morning. 
And everyone in the natural hears, uh-huh. Can I have a coffee, please? And all heaven hears is ka-ching. Because they're stacking up rewards in heaven. That, that, that early time in the morning is gold, and it's silver, and it's precious stones. The, the band comes in and they rehearse well before we've even probably got out of bed. They're practicing and they're making it great for us on a Sunday. And, and, and you may hear music, but, but heaven hears ka-ching as gold, silver, and precious stones is being attributed to their account in heaven. Today, somewhere in the building, there's somebody looking after the children in the nursery. And all everybody else hears it. And, and, and all heaven hears is ka-ching because whenever you are serving in the kingdom of God, no matter if it's great or small, you are adding account to your account in heaven. How many of you have the version Bible app on your phone? Give me a wave. How much did you pay for that? It's nothing. It's free. Do you think it arrived on your phone for free? They're, they value the, the, that Bible app as, as being around 30 to 50 million right now. There, there are millions of dollars invested in that Bible app. Man hours, education, money, resource, ideas. So you and I could download it for free. I would suggest to you that's how salvation comes. How did you get saved? You got saved, firstly, because Jesus died on the cross. We know that bit. So there were some works in there. But how do we know Jesus died on the cross? Because we read it in a Bible. So somebody had to record what happened. Did they write it down in English? No, they didn't write it down in English. Was it written in one full set of, of notes? No, there's a multiple fragments in different languages that are a couple of thousand years of age. So to be able to get us an accurate interpretation of what was written on those fragments, somebody had to do research. Somebody had to learn how to be an archaeologist. Somebody had to learn how to interpret old languages. Somebody had to have an education. So somebody studied for hours and hours and hours. Every version that you pick up, you just read it like, you know, it was really, but somebody spent their life putting that together, making sure that you and I had an accurate interpretation of what was written in the scriptures. They've, they've given their life to that. And so just the fact that we have read the Bible means that we are, we are working on somebody's put something... Often we get saved because somebody invited us to church, somebody brought us to church, somebody preached the gospel. Many times somebody's paying for this building today. Somebody rented this facility, paid the bill for this facility the day that you got saved. So I would suggest to you that there are a lot of works that went into your salvation. My mother and her friends prayed me into the kingdom of God. My mother wrestled with demons so I could get out of hell and get, my mum spent hours in prayer. My mum used to say to me as I'd go out to the nightclub, have a horrible night, and she'd pray on. <laughs> she put a verse up on my, my shaving mirror, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord. This was the worst thing I, I think she ever did. She found a Playboy magazine and put Bible tracts in my Playboy magazine. I wasn't saved, people, I wasn't saved. 
And so my mum put a lot of works in my salvation. I would suggest today that you are the result of somebody's prayer. You are the result of somebody's invitation. You are the result of somebody's effort. So, so, so here's the deal. Every one of us here today is saved by works. They're just not our works. We're all saved by works, but somebody else's works provided the opportunity to receive the grace. And so by grace we are saved by faith, not of our own works, so we can boast. But somebody else did the works that provided the platform for us to receive salvation. So anytime that you give into a missions offering, anytime that you're giving into the tithes, it's not just throwing money into a bucket, it's not just throwing money into an account. But you are providing a resource and a platform for young people to get saved in schools. You're providing a resource and a platform for communities to be changed. Like we heard today, some of the things that are happening out attacking, you're providing a resource so people can get saved. Yeah. And every time one of those people gets saved because you invested it in heaven, it's ka to your account. Anytime that you volunteer here on a Sunday or anything that's happening, anytime that you volunteer kingdom time, you're not doing it for free. In heaven, they're busy. Ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. Why? Because you're doing the works that provide the platform for somebody else to get saved. So next time somebody asks you, are you saved by grace or are you saved by works? Then your simple answer is yes. Earlier on, I, I said that you would arrive in heaven to silence. And there's probably a few of you that were like, <clears throat> that also is incorrect. Because what about the scripture where God says to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's just think about that phrase, well done. You can't get a well done unless you've done a done. <laughs> if there's no dunning, and there's no well done. You can't get a well done without nothing being done. So you've had to done, and you didn't done anything to get saved. You're saved by grace. The only dunning happens when you provide a platform for somebody else. You can't be good and faithful servant unless you've been a servant, and you've been serving good and faithfully. So if you want to stand there on that day, and the fire hits your life, and God steps back and looks at the gold and the silver and the precious stones. On that day, God will look at that and go, well done. You're a good and you're a faithful servant. My prayer for you today is that if you're here this morning and you're not right with God, if you've never prayed, if you've never asked Jesus Christ into your life, that today, whether you're here or at one of the locations that we have, that we would give you an opportunity. It would be wrong to ever finish a Sunday without giving people an opportunity to get their life right with God. Sometimes there's no one in the room that needs to do that. But it's the single most important question that we can ever ask you. Where are you at with God? Where is your life at with God? Maybe you prayed a prayer years ago. You got your life right with God. But maybe you got hurt in church. Maybe you messed up or did something wrong. And so you sort of walked away from church and now maybe it's your first time back in a little while and you're sort of seeking, does God still love me? Does God still care? I'm here to tell you today that the grace of God is inexhaustible. 
Maybe today you say, John, I, I need a brand new start in my life and relationship with God. Maybe you're here today and you come because of a spouse or a friend or a sibling or you come with a workmate and you've been coming to church for a little while but you've never ever taken a moment to make a personal decision for Jesus Christ. This morning we want to give you an opportunity to do that. God loves you. God's not angry at you. God doesn't have his fist out towards you. The arms of God are open wide. 2,000 years ago, Jesus hung on a cross and his arms were open wide. He said, anybody to come, you can come. God removed his arm holding you back. Now, if you remove your arm and say, God, please receive me just as I am. The grace of God, the undeserved favor of God is yours. All you need to do today is simply receive it. It, it, it seems so crazy. How could I just receive it? But that's the gospel. That God so loved you that He gave His only begotten Son. That if you would just simply believe in Him, you'd not perish. That He would give you eternal life. How you receive that is just through prayer. You just come to God. You say, God, you know what? I'm away from you. I've done wrong. But today I want to get my life right with you. I want a brand new start in my life and my relationship with you. You do that through a prayer. What we generally do in church, and I'm gonna do that in just a moment here today, is we generally have somebody like me lead a prayer. Lead a prayer that you repeat. You won't be repeating it on your own. Other people in the building will say it out loud, we'll all say it together. But you today, if you need to get your heart right with God, then you can pray this prayer. And I wanna encourage you this morning, heaven's listening. God's ear is open to you today. God's heart is reaching out to you this morning. You are only one prayer away from a massive life change. All you to do today is just receive it. You say, John, that seems too easy. No, no, there have been a lot of works that have gone in to making this moment happen for you. There's been a lot of prayer invested. There have been a lot of lives invested. There are thousands and thousands of man hours being invested to give you the opportunity. And so today you receive it by grace. You receive it freely because somebody else has provided the platform. But all you need to do is pray the prayer. If you're in one of our locations or you're here today, I'd like you just for a moment just to close your eyes right across this building. And I just want you to think about you block everybody else out. There may be nobody here, but there may be just one person here. If that one person is you, you need to understand you are the most important person in the room right now. There's no one in this room more valuable than you if you need a brand new start in your life and relationship with God. All heaven is watching for you. God is watching for you right now. But if that's you, you say to me, John, that's me. I, I need a brand new start today in my life and my relationship with God. I want to pray that prayer when you pray it. All you need to do right now, can you just do me a favor? Can you just raise your hand and say, yeah, that's me. I, I need a brand new start today in my life and relationship with God. I, I'll see it, I'll acknowledge it, and you can put it straight down. Who is a person that's like that? A lot of people in this auditorium this morning. And so just lift it high and give me a wave of your hand and say, yeah, that's me. I need a brand new start today in my life and my relationship with God. See a hand, there's a hand over here. God bless you so I can see your hand. Who else is like that? There's a hand up here, fantastic. Who else is like that? Just give me a wave of your hand, say, that's me. I need a brand new start today 
in my life, in, in the locations that are watching streaming today, just lift your hand right where you're at right now. God's going to see it. God's, it's more important for God to see it than me to see it. Who else is like that? Before we pray that prayer, you say, John, that's me. I need a brand new start today in my life and relationship with God. Today is my day. I'm going to pray that prayer and receive that grace of God today. Anybody else that needs to do it, quickly lift up your hand right where you're at and we're going to pray that prayer. Wonderful Jesus. Hands are being raised. Hearts are towards God. Let's all pray this prayer. If you raised it or really wish you would have, pray this prayer with me this morning. But everyone pray it out loud. Say this with me. Say, Dear Jesus, I come to this morning and I'm asking you for a brand new start in my life and relationship with you. Please forgive me for all my sin. And today, give me a brand new start. Remove all my past. Cover me in your grace. Fill me with your love. Drench me in your mercy. Today is a day of new beginnings. I turn my back on yesterday and I embrace my future. Jesus, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. I receive it today, right here, right now. Amen. Amen. God bless you this morning. Let's give it up for all those that got saved. This is our hand. Back to pastor. I just want to let you know I've got a, somewhere in the lobby out there, we have a USB drive. Uh, resources, like 20 messages on there, video and audio, and uh, this is a stack of there that I think that uh, you'll enjoy. So if you enjoyed the ministry today and you want to invest, then that's out there for you. God bless you, man. I appreciate it. Thanks, John.